Well, good morning, Foothill. Good to see you all here. I'm Pastor Chris, one of the pastors around here, and it's really good to see all of you on this beautiful Sunday morning. Um, I just mentioned the team. Uh, many of you have been here. You know the last five weeks have been raising money to send a team over to Lebanon who's, who are ministering to Syrian refugees. And so I just want to let you know they got there. They arrived safely in Beirut, and, uh, and now they are in kind of the mountain village area where, uh, where they're doing their ministry. They, they were able to make their way, I think it was today, earlier there and uh, settling in and, and getting ready. And just an answer, quick answer to prayer. We actually prayed specifically uh, as we sent them off that God would help them kind of breeze through customs. We didn't want there being any, you know, suspicions or questions or whatever. And, uh, and they texted and, and sent an email yesterday that said that's exactly what happened. God just sort of got them right through. And so we're really grateful. God's going before them. And I can't wait to hear back and, and uh, hear more of the reports of coming in. And, and I'd ask you just to pray with us. Uh, what I've done on my calendar is I, I've actually created a, a calendar entry that just reminds me at one time every day, just, hey, stop and pray if you haven't already. Uh, just take a couple of minutes and mention them and pray for their safety. More than that, pray for the power of the gospel. Pray for opportunities to share the gospel with people that their lives could be transformed by that, okay? And, uh, and I know that as we lift that up in prayer, God will be faithful to answer our prayers. And I'm excited. I'm so excited to hear back from them and see if there's any future for us in terms of, of, of continuing partnership in something like this. I know we've got lots of nurses and others in the medical profession that are here, and you've heard about them. You're like, man, that'd be awesome to do in the future. And, and maybe we will. We don't know, but we're just praying that uh, whatever, this is, a, this is a great trip and that many people come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. Amen? All right, so we started a series uh, a couple weeks ago called Mission Critical. I just mentioned that, and, and, and what we just said is, look, we, we just want to say unapologetically, here's who we are as a, as, a, as a church. Here's what we feel like God has called us to, because many of you are searching for churches, um, and, and it's a great reminder even for us who have been here for a long time, you're, but you're, you're, you're here and you're trying to figure out, is this the place for me? And, and so I said it a few weeks ago, this is, this is like you know going out on that date for the first time and everything's great, but by the third date, you're like, psycho, and you... you uh, uh, you're like, I got to get out of this. Well, we just want to kind of let the crazy out of the bag and say, here's who we are. This is what we want to do. This is what we want to accomplish. And then you can decide whether this is for you or not for you. And, uh, but, but for all those that are here, it's like, this is, this is what we're about. And just a reminder of, and to recalibrate our compass and make sure we're pointing in the right direction. So what are we about? We said our purpose as a church is simply this. We exist to glorify God by leading people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ rooted in the gospel. So two weeks we talked about everything is about the glory of God. I hope you understand this. Your entire Bible is about God and His glory. Your life is meant to be lived for God and His glory. This church exists for God and His glory. And then we said, how are we going to do that? Well, by leading people. What does leading people look like? Well, it looks like teaching the Word of God. It looks like making sure we understand what the Word of God says, but it looks like serving. So in the Christian community, leading is not, hey, how many people can I get to follow me, but, but more, how many people can I serve? And so we serve one another. We serve our community. We serve our families. We, we, we serve each other. That's a very important part of how we get there. And today we get to this portion that says, a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. So if you consider yourself a Christian, like you'd say, I, uh, you know, that, that, that's, that's you know, where, where I identify that way. I, I want you to ask yourself the question this morning, how do you know? Have you ever thought about that? I mean, really, seriously, how do you know? How do you know that you're a Christian? Um... If you kind of went to the man on the street and just said, hey, are you, yeah, yeah, how do you know? You might hear lots of things. You might hear, well, I, I believe in God. 
Okay. Uh, somebody else might say, well, I, I remember there was this kind of crisis moment where I made this deal with God that if he had delivered me from that, then I would, I would live for him. Others would say, well, I just try to live by the golden rule, and, I, and, and this is what I base it on. So because you know, I try to treat people the way I want to be treated, I try to be good, I try to have certain values, uh, that's what it is. Or, you know, I, I'm American. You know, aren't we all? Aren't we all just Christians? Don't we just become Christian when we, when we enter into this country? Whatever, right? There's all kinds of reasons that people, I said a prayer. Somebody led me in the sinner's prayer back when I was seven years old, and so now I'm a Christian. What, what, what is it that you're basing that on? Because what we want to ask, the question we really want to ask is, what does the Bible say? Does the Bible give us any sense of, here's, here's how you can know? What, what does it say? And it might surprise you to find out that, um, that all the reasons mentioned above, really, not one of them is, is biblical. Um, there isn't, I, I don't know if you know this, there, there's no sinner's prayer in Scripture. Now, there, there's plenty of prayers from sinners. There's plenty of God be merciful to me, a sinner, like the, the, the tax collector that Jesus talks about in Luke 18. But, but in no, nowhere does it say, if you say this prayer, you'll, you'll be a Christian, right? So, so I mean, you, you understand you can't be good enough. You're, you're not born into Christianity. You, you don't get that way. This is, this is, there's something much different. So how do you know? Well, the Bible over and over gives us one proof that you can bank on in your life. Because it wants you to know. It wants you, I mean, if you consider yourself, it wants to give you an assurance of your salvation. And so turn with me to Luke chapter 15, Luke chapter, I'm sorry, John chapter 15, my, my mistake, John chapter 15, and, uh, and I want you to just hear the words of Jesus. Now, there's other place we could go. I take you to Mark 4 and Jesus and the parable of the sower and the seeds and all that, but I, I just want you to hear kind of briefly what Jesus says here about this, this one thing that we all need to be seeing in our lives if we're going to know that we're Christian, Okay. So so John chapter 15, starting in verse 1, Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch of mine that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Skip down to verse 5, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch that withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown in the fire, and burned. Verse 8, but this is my, but by this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Now, did you hear it? What, what is, and you're going to see this again. You'll see this all over scripture. I'm going to show it to you more in a little bit. But, but, but the idea is that every Christian, the Bible cannot conceive of a Christian that does not bear fruit. It cannot conceive, let's say it another way, of a Christian that is not growing. And it's not just I was kind of fruitful in the days early in my salvation. It is, it is a bearing and increasing in fruit, as you're going to see here in a moment. 
Like, like that just goes on and on so that God looks and says, wow, you know, if he looks at me at Chris Lewis's life and says, hey, you're bearing fruit, then Chris, you know what? Like any good vine dresser, like anybody that, that is worth his salt in terms of, of making sure that you continue to grow, there's going to be times of pruning. I'm going to actually come into your life and do things to you, Chris, not because I want to hurt you. I want to take some things away from you. I want to, I want to, I want to cause, if you will, some suffering, or whatever, so that you'll be more fruitful. You understand, one of the trajectories that a Christian ought to see is not, man, I was super fruitful in those early days, and then it all tapered off. They should bear more and more. There should be growth. Do you see this? That we are growing as Christians. The Bible cannot conceive of a growthless Christian. There's no such thing. And so this is, this is primary, right? This is something that we ought to be seeing in each one of our lives. So the question then becomes, okay, so what kind of growth should we see? Okay, I guess I should be growing. Like, what, what does it look like? So to show you this, I, again, I, I love, there's all kinds of places I, I, I could take you, but let's go to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. Paul is writing to this little church he's never visited. And, and he's, he's going to pray for them, as you're going to see. And, and what undergirds all of Paul's prayers is the glory of God in the growth of Christians. I want to see you become, I want to see you grow. And so you're going to watch how Paul talks about growth. And what I want to do this morning is we're just sort of divide this into two parts. I want to talk about what you should see, what I should see as inward growth. Those things that ought to be reshaping our affections, the way that God ought to be working, pressing against my soul and changing me and growing me. And then I want you to see, let's talk about external growth of a Christian and see how, how God, what, what sort of things manifest themselves outside of us in our behavior. Okay, and these two things sort of cross over at times, so we're going to see both of these, but, but I, I want to try to divide it that way, okay? So we'll first talk about the inward growth of a Christian. And the first thing I want you to see, the first growth that Paul will pray for is a growing knowledge of God's will. So look at verse 9 with me. He says, and so from the day we heard, that is about your faith, we have not ceased to pray for you. Paul says, I pray for you, church. I've never met you, and I pray for you. Now, what do you pray, Paul? Asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. I want you to grow in a knowledge of God's will. Now, when you hear that, what do you think? What is God's will? Probably many of us think, um, what is God's will for my life, right? Ever, ever think like this? I need, to, I need to figure out what God wants me to do. I, 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 I need to know what is God's will for the job that he wants me to have? What is God's will for this promotion? What is God's will for moving to this city versus that city? What is God's will for this job? What is God's will for how I handle this committee meeting? What, what is God's will for what major I have? What is God's will for the spouse that I'm going to marry? And so what we do is we go, okay, God, I got to discern God's will. And so I pray about it. And, and then I kind of, you know, feel good or I go, okay, yeah, okay, that, that, that I, I think I've, I've gotten confirmation because I got the quiver in my liver and now I'll go about and do it, right? I know I'm sarcastic and I think you should pray about those things, honestly. I, I really do. I'm not, I'm not trying to put you down if you do that. But, but is that what Paul's talking about? 
when he says, I want there to be this growing knowledge. I want you to be filled with a knowledge of God's will. See, what can happen is that God's will, when we think of it that will, becomes of that way, becomes this, this mysterious um, and very self-centered thing, doesn't it? It's all about I, I'm really trying to figure it out for me. You figure it out for you, I figure it out for me, and yours may be different than mine, and, and that's what we're trying to do. Paul is not praying for that. When Paul prays that we would we would have a knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. He's saying a deep understanding of what God's will revealed in Scripture is, and it means that if we know it, we obey it. So the knowledge of his will is Paul, in some ways, saying as a synonym, I pray that you would become, because you know it, you would become more and more obedient that you would become more and more conformed. So, um, so, so, so what, is, what is this will of God that we should become conformed to? If I read my Bible, does, does God help us understand what His will is? Well, yet, yes, He does. So if you're in Colossians, just turn to the right two pages or so, and you're going to be in 1 Thessalonians. And go to chapter 4. And just watch this. This is amazing. Like, you want to know God's will? I know God's will for your life because I know it for mine, and it's the same. So chapter 4, look at verse 3. For this is the will of God. You're kidding me. Yes, your sanctification. Like, I want you to grow in holiness. I want you to grow in, in the set-apartedness from the world. I, I want you to be different. I, I don't want you to conform to the patterns of this world. I, I want you to be renewed. I want there to be something different and growing in holiness about you. That's sanctification, becoming more like Jesus. But then he fleshes it out, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you before, and solemnly warned you, for God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. There it is. What's the will of God for you? What's the will of God for me? Holiness manifested how? No sexual immorality. You don't have to wonder. You don't have to wonder whether God thinks you ought to be sleeping with your girlfriend or not, or God thinks you ought to be having an affair with the woman or the man next door, or God thinks you ought to be looking at pornography. You don't have to, or God thinks you ought to be living a, a, a lifestyle that is contrary to Scripture. You don't have to wonder. He just said it. This is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from these things. You don't do that. Turn one page to, to 1 Thessalonians 5. Check this out. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 16, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. That's amazing, right? You want to know God's will? There it is. Rejoice, Lord, always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances. He can't possibly mean that. In all, all circumstances? Yeah, I had somebody come last night. So, wait, did I hear you say, like, so this means if... If I'm sick, 
I should praise God, I should give him thanks, that's exactly what that means. I just got diagnosed with cancer. Give thanks in all circumstances. I just flunked an exam. Give thanks in all circumstances. I'm having trouble with my spouse. Give thanks in all circumstances. Rejoice in God. Seriously? Rejoice when Paul says in Philippians, rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. Just in case you didn't get it the first time, I'll say it again, rejoice. Always. But I'm kind of a depressive person. Rejoice. This is amazing, right? This is Paul saying, this is the will of God. You don't have to wonder. It's God's will for your life. Every time I read this passage in 2 Thessalonians where he says, Giving, give thanks in all circumstances, I can't help but thinking of, of Corey Ten Boom, and some of you know her name, and she, was, uh, she and her family hid uh, the Jews from the Nazis in, during World War II. And eventually were found out, and her and her sister and her dad were taken to concentration camps. Her dad died. Her sister and her, by the grace of God, remained in the same camp together, in fact, in the same barracks. And it, it was unimaginable. And it's an amazing story. You ought to read it. It's called The Hiding Place, and, and you should read it to your kids. Read it for yourself. It's, it's, it's an incredible story. But, but what happens is at one point, Betsy is this, is this incredible tower of faith, and Corey is sort of the weaker of the two, if you will. And one day, they're in their barracks, and you know, you've, you've heard the stories about the Nazi barracks, and they're awful, and, and they're all starting to itch, and they, they're like, what is going on? And they look around, and they realize this barrack is infested with fleas. Now just make your skin crawl. I mean, just imagine. And Betsy turns to Corey when they realize it, and everybody's like, ah, they're all freaking out, and she turns to Corey and says, Corey, Corey, do you remember what we read this morning? And they read this passage. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus, Corey. Corey, let's thank God for the fleas. And Corey's like, cuckoo, right? That's not happening. Betsy, come on, what are you talking about? The fleas. No, Corey. Give thanks in all circumstances. And so they stop, and she, she prays, and Corey <laughs> kind of stands there like, I don't think I can enter into this prayer, right? And you go ahead, Betsy. And a few days later, they realize that there's some terrible things happening in the camp but the guards are not coming to their barracks because of the fleas. And she says, you see, Corey? See, see, this is the will of God. God wants you to grow. He wants there to be this increasing knowledge of his will, an increasing knowledge of Scripture that says, okay, this is what God wants me to do. Are you doing it? Are you looking and saying, this is, this is God's will for my life, and I'm going to obey it. I'm going to do it. See, because if you're not doing that, what makes you think that God's going to reveal this other part of his will for your life? Look what D.A. Carson says. I think we've got it. 
It is folly to pretend to seek God's will for your life in terms of a marriage, partner, or some form of Christian vocation when there is no deep desire to pursue God's will as he has already kindly revealed it right here. See, this is where we start. God, show us your will and give us an increasing knowledge of your will. But then he goes on and he says he now prays for a growing desire to live a life worthy of Christ. So keep going. He says in all spiritual wisdom, verse 10, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him. So as you understand God's will, the expression would be you would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him. What does it mean to walk worthy of Christ? It means to be fully pleasing to him. Imagine this. That Paul has the audacity to pray. I pray for you, Chris. I pray for you, Elise. I pray for you, Ike. I pray that you will be fully pleasing to God. Now, that's growing. That's amazing. See, do you, do you pray like this? Let me just, let me just pause. For do you pray these kinds of prayers? <laughs> like, just look at this prayer. I mean, as we walk through it, ask yourself, do I even come close? See, most of our prayers are something like, they tend to be about what our greatest felt need is in that moment, right? Um, I got a financial crisis. This consumes my prayers. I've got an illness. That consumes my prayer. There is a loved one of mine who's away from Christ. That consumes my prayer. And, and listen, God doesn't fault you for that. He says, cast all your cares on me. I care for all of them. But I want you to look at what Paul does here. Paul never ever pray. You'll never hear Paul praying that, oh, somebody just sent me a message saying they need to be healed. I'm going to pray for you. Just let you know I, I prayed for you. Paul does something way more. I mean, in fact, I'd say the closest we can get with Paul is when Paul says three times I pleaded with the Lord that he would take this thorn out of my side, this messenger of Satan sent to torment me. We have no idea what he's talking about. Was it a physical ailment? Was it this person who was just very hard to deal with? We don't know. What we do know is how God responded. God said, Paul, no, I'm not going to do it. My grace is sufficient for you. Grace. See, do you see the kind of prayers that Paul prays are so massive? They are so massive that if God would answer just the prayer of Colossians 1, 9 through 14 for you and I, for this church, for our families, we, we would be indestructible. There would be no no thing that could come into your life that would level you, that would, that would throw you off kilter, that there would be no sickness that would undo you. There would be no financial crisis that would, that would take you out. He's praying massive, massive prayers. And so I pray that you would live a life worthy of Christ. Isn't that amazing? Now, here's, here's one of the difficulties. We are, we are most of us in this room, our 21st century um, Americans, right? Very much Westerners. And so there is a mindset that is, that is imbued in this Bible of yours that we don't even see because we don't come to it with the presupposition of a 
Near Eastern culture. So, so one of the things that you've got to understand is that Paul, Jesus, in this day, they lived in what we would call an honor-shame culture. Now, this, this kind of thing still exists today, but it certainly doesn't exist for most of us. It exists in, uh, in Asian countries, lots of Asian countries. It, ends, it, it exists in, in Africa. It, it exists perhaps in some of the Latin American countries. And here's the idea that you, one of the worst things you can do is to live in such a way that you bring shame on your family, your clan, your tribe. And we don't even think like this. In fact, like I would imagine that we think that's awful. That sounds really cruel, like, because there are people, and you've, you've maybe met some, they, they, they live like that, and they're like, you know what, I'll bring shame on my family if this thing doesn't go well. And we think, that sounds really awful. That sounds like a mean mom and dad. That sounds like a very mean culture. And because we so don't relate to that, what we do is we allow the pendulum to swing entirely in the opposite direction and say, instead of there being shame, we think it's better when the kid launches out on its own and who cares about mom and dad and who cares about the family heritage and and shame and honor and all that stuff. I can live any way I want to live. I can sin with impunity. I am still God's child. It just doesn't matter. It matters massively. Because everything you do is a reflection on the family that you claim to belong to. I'm talking about God's family. You know what Paul's doing? Paul's saying, I plead with you. I plead with you, Christian. I'm praying for you, in fact, that you you will think, "What, what can I do? How can I behave? How can I talk? in such a way that will bring the greatest honor to God. What shouldn't I do? What shouldn't I say? No matter how authentic it is, that if I do and if I say that, it will bring shame on the name of Christ. That is a really, really good way to think. And Paul says, I want to see that grow in you. I want you to be thinking about your family. I want you to be thinking about not bringing shame on their name, especially on the name of Christ who saved you. A growing desire to live a life worthy of Christ. Let's keep going, because now he's going to talk about a growing fruitfulness. So he says, uh, to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, and keep going, bearing fruit in every good work. So there it is again. I want to see you fruitful. Paul can't conceive of a non-producing, non-fruitful Christian. In fact, to be, to be unfruitful means, according to Jesus, you are disconnected from the vine. And if you're disconnected from the vine, then he says, we're done with you. you, you there, there, there's nothing. You're not a Christian. You're, you're not one of His disciples. There should be growth. There's another parable that Jesus tells. I'm telling you, this is all over Scripture. Luke chapter 13, Jesus tells another parable of an owner of essentially an orchard. And he goes out there with his gardener, the guy who takes care of the orchard, and says, okay, you know what? 
Uh, We have been growing this orchard for three years, and this stupid tree right here is not bearing any fruit. Cut it down. And the gardener goes, wait, hey, you know what, master? I'll do what you say, but give me a chance. Let me dig a moat around it. Let Let me water it. Let me fertilize it. Let me give it every chance of survival. And if this time next year it doesn't produce fruit, I'll cut it down. What is Jesus saying? Well, there's two things he's saying. God is incredibly compassionate. And God is saying, you know what? I'm not just coming through, lopping people down just because you had a season of unfruitfulness. Not that. This is somebody who has never borne fruit and claims to be a Christian and continues to not bear fruit. And his grace is Jesus is going to come and Jesus is going to do everything in his power to bring you to a place of fruitfulness. But if you continue to be unfruitful, there's going to come a place where he says, depart from me. I never knew you. I didn't like know you and then you ran away from me. I never knew you. You were never, you were never a fruit-bearing Christian in the, in the first place. He says, Paul says, I, I want to see us increase. You know what my prayers is? I really pray. I pray that as my life goes on, my most fruitful days are not behind me. They're in front of me, no matter how old I am. Now, now you understand, the growth of the Christian life doesn't look like this. It looks like the stock market, Right? Right? But the idea is that the trend over time is we can look and say it's growth. There's growth. God is growing us, bearing fruit. But then look what else he says, increasing in the knowledge of God. So he's saying, I want there to be a growing knowledge of God. So I first prayed for a knowledge of God's will. Now I'm praying for a knowledge of God. You understand these two things aren't like, don't work you know, disconnected from each other. They, they work together. As I know God's will, I know more about him. As I know more about him, I know God's will. And we want to know God. Do you have a growing desire to know God? Right? And, and this sort of interplay between, like, I'll tell you what my will is, and I'm revealing it here in Scripture, but then you're going to walk intimately with me. This is going to allow you to know me at deeper and deeper levels. This is how any relationship is built. This is how, this is how children learn about their parents, right? Parents don't do a data dump that says, okay, let me just sit you down, and we'll kind of have these sessions where I just sort of tell you who I am, what I like, how to behave. No, you pick it up. It's more caught than taught, right? I, I understand what my mom and dad value, what pleases them, what displeases them, because, because I've walked with them. I have a knowledge of them, but as I have a knowledge of them, I grow in a knowledge of their will. As I grow in a knowledge of their will, I grow in a knowledge of them. See, we don't, we don't master information. God says, I want you to know. Paul says, I, we want to know God. And this is amazing because here's Paul. Paul who, who, you know, experienced things with God, walked with God in such an intimate way. And yet he's going to say things like in Philippians, oh, that I may know him. I just want to know Christ. I want to know him deeper tomorrow than I knew him today. Is that, is that a growing desire of yours to know God deeper and deeper. I'm telling you, this is the mark of a true Christian. There will be a growing desire to know God. Uh, but, but now look what he says. He says, a growing strength to endure with patience and joy. Look at, look at verse 11. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. Why? For all endurance and patience with joy. Now, now, now just 
Watch this for a second. Look at what Paul does. He says, I want you to be strengthened. I want there to be power. I want there to be this internal strength in your life. So I'm talking, this is the inward part of you. I want you to strengthen according to his might, right? In accordance, like, like, like the might that you receive actually mimics and measures the kind of might that God has. So in many times, what Paul will do is he will say, the might that has been given to us, the power that has been given to us through the indwelling of the Spirit, listen to this, is, is the same power that raised Christ from the dead. Now, that's power, isn't it? That is massive But here's the interesting thing. Why, Paul? Why does God give us that power? And almost always, Paul's going to say something like he did in verse 11. For endurance, for patience. The primary personal application of the power of God in my life is endurance, is patience and joy, right? It's not not these massive, you know, big, wild manifestations of the Spirit, you know, or something that we think is just, wow, that's awesome. No. Many times like, wow, you know what's amazing? Is that I actually have more endurance today than I had three years ago. I'm actually more patient today than I am three years ago. I'm actually, uh, there's things that, that would have, you know, just robbed my joy uh, a few years ago that today, there's joy. I, I, it's not going away from me. I've told you before, my kids know this, I, I, I'm the most impatient person I know. And I don't say that to brag. I say that as, a, as like a stain on my record, right? And so we're, there's this joke in my family that if we're going to get in line somewhere, don't let dad choose. Because if dad chooses the line, God's coming after him. And so that line's going to turn into an hour long. And it happens all the time. We'll go to Costco, and I'll be like, hey, let's go there. No, and I'll go there, and they go there, and they're through like 10 minutes before I am. I mean, it just... All the time, God's working on me. He's like, Chris, I want you to grow in patience. Now, I can look and say, you know what? You used to be like, come on, you know. Now it's a little just like, come on, right? It's, just, it's a little better. <laughs> it's a little better. Like, God, you're okay. wow, there's, there's some evidence that you're actually growing me. That's what I'm talking about. That God says, I, I want you to grow with patient endurance with joy. And then, and then look at the last thing. It says, growing thankfulness to God. Look at, look at verse, um, verse 12. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints of light. So he says, every Christian, what I want to see you growing in is thankfulness to God. Do, do you do that? Is you, are you growing? Like the longer you walk, the longer you go on with God, the more thankful you are, the more you realize how thankful you should really be. Because Paul just gave us a hint. He says, who has qualified us. Like, who qualified you? Did you qualify yourself to become a child of God? No, God qualified you. Christ qualified you. See, you will never be thankful in the way that God wants you to be thankful until you understand, like Paul understands, what Christ has done for you. You can't, right? If you just think that Christ is this nice additive to your otherwise good life, then you'll be about that thankful. Yeah, I'm I'm glad you're here. If you think that your sins are these little small petty things, they're really not that big a deal. When I said to Christ, forgive me of my sins, I know that he forgives me and I'm glad of that. But really, how hard is it to forgive the fact that I cheated on a test in fourth grade? How hard is it to forgive the fact that I took a paperclip home from work? It's not that big a deal. 
And so we tend to minimize our sin, don't we? But Paul backs up and goes, this is what happened. He qualified me. I, I had no inheritance. I, I, I couldn't ever get there on my own. I was dead in my trespasses and sins, Ephesians chapter 2. I, I, couldn't, I couldn't raise myself to life. He qualified me, and then look what he says. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness. This is why I'm in the saints and light and transferred to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Paul goes, this is the majesty. This is the thing that we ought to be thankful for. See, if you're looking down your nose, if it kind of feels like, yeah, I realize I'm a sinner, but boy, there's a lot worse. Something's wrong. Like, I, I think we tend to go, you know, Hitler, now that's a black heart. Osama bin Laden, that's a, that, there's, I mean, that's a whole nother level. And I get that, right? But amazingly, Paul lived in a day where the Caesars were in power, where horrible things were happening, and Paul is going to say on more than one occasion, I'm the worst sinner I know. Well, could you say that? You know what he's saying? He's saying, from my vantage point, from all the hearts that I can see, I can actually look into somebody's heart. The only one I can see is my own. It is the blackest heart I can imagine. There are things that percolate outside of this heart. I do things I don't want to do. I don't do things I do want to do. Who's going to rescue me from this body of death? And he says, oh, thanks be to God who leads in triumphal procession through Jesus Christ. He's going to deliver me. He's the one. He deserves the praise. He deserves the glory. God did this for me. You will never thank God the way he deserves to be thanked until you understand you're the worst sinner you could possibly ever know. And when you do, then you're going to say things like, oh, but in him is the redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So this is what God wants to do in you inwardly. He's sort of just working this thing inward inside of you. But it's always going to begin to bleed out of you. God, God goes, man, I do. I, Chris, I want to reform your heart. Chris, I want to transform you. I want to give you brand new affections. I want you to be growing in strength and endurance and patience and joy and things that you can't do for yourself. I want that to happen. And then it's going to begin to work its way out. Now, one of the mistakes we'll make is we'll say, I don't have to see any external evidence of God's work and growth in my life until sort of the internal matches up with it. No, that's wrong. Like you're still going to be held accountable for not doing what God wants you to do. And so I think there are markers. I think there are external markers that would tell us that this is what a growing Christian looks like. And this is found in the Bible as well. So let's talk about the sort of external growth of a Christian very quickly. And the first thing I want you to see is that growing people are loving people. Many of you know 1 John 4, 7, and 8, right? Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever does not loves, has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. What's he talking about? The whole book of 1 John is written to give people an assurance of their salvation. Like he's saying, okay, you call yourself a genuine Christian, and so what I want to do is, if that's really true, then I want you to have such a full assurance that I'm going to tell you, here's what you ought to be seeing in your life. And so he gives what we might call these certain tests to kind of test our faith, like, like, like Paul talks about. And, and one of those things he called, we, we might call the love test. That is, that we are growing in our love for one another. 
And when I say one another, I mean for other Christians. That one of the things we ought to be seeing, one of the things we go, you know, I want to go to church because I love these people. I want to be in a growth group because it's helping me love people, right? Isn't this what happens? We can't love people that we don't know. We can't love people that we just come to church and sort of sit in aisles with. We can't. We learn to really love people by getting to know them. And I mean, you know, like Michelle and I, when I was in seminary, we got put into this essentially a growth group, and it was, it was a freak show. Like, there were just some weird, weird people. And one guy owned, at, like, hid from the government a black leopard in his apartment. Uh, this, I mean, this is a true story. One guy had a room that was like a shrine to old Mac computers, no joke. I mean, it was like, oh, well, you know, like, it's like a museum. It's weird. And I spent two years with those people, and by the end, I loved them. There's no way I could have done that. Like, first shot was like, freaks, not happening. <laughs> two years later, I love you guys. That's amazing. This is what happens. This is why we're so big on growth groups, because growing people are loving people. The second thing you'll see is that growing people are serving people, right? That is, we serve one another. That's what Jesus said. I've served you. I've washed your feet. I've done these things. Now you go and serve one another. Who's the one another? It's the community of faith, right? So there ought to be, I told you last week, we talked about service. I'm not going to, you know, redo the sermon here, but we said it's, it's, it's serving. It's leading people through serving, and you can do that in your home. Yes, you can do that in your work. Yes, you can do that in your neighborhood. Yes, and you should, but you also can do this in this church. Do you understand this? Do you know this? Do, do, do you know? Let me just clue you in on some things that you, you may not uh, know. Do you know that there's been uh, several occasions that we've had to turn families away from checking their kids into our children's program because the ratio between kids and adults is too high. Like we, we get to a place where like we, we can't go past this point, so I'm sorry right? No parent wants to drop their kid off into a room with one worker and 87 children running around. You know, you, know, you can actually serve and be a part of, of solving that. Do you know that Pastor Steve Dobransky, our youth pastor, we have a Wednesday night impact service. Do you know that, that we have a, a need for some, for some women that want to be committed to helping disciple junior high girls? What a formative time. What an amazing opportunity. Do you know, as you will find out when you leave here, that we uh, run out of parking every single week in this service and some people have to just pull through and they can't find a parking space? And that we literally park cars where you shouldn't be parking cars? And next week, we're going to actually start shuttling on a weekly basis from over at our Grand Avenue campus. And you could actually serve by saying, I'll give up my parking space so somebody else can park there. Growing people are serving people. We just look for it. We look and go, man, there's an opportunity to serve. I'll do it. There's all kinds. Of, I, mean, I can keep going on and on. We don't, have, we don't have coffee on Saturday nights. Some of you that may go back and forth between Saturday night and Sunday night, Sunday services. We don't have coffee on Saturday night because we don't have a bed you'll serve it. Right? We, we have no room in this service 
Lots of room on Saturday night. There's so many ways. I, I just, I want to figure out ways I can serve. This is what a growing person does. Growing people, third, are giving people. You understand this? Paul says in, in Philippians chapter 4 that, man, when you give, there's a fruit that increases to your credit. There's a growth that happens when we give. Like, I'm not talking about, oh, I, you know, I give. I give $5 in the offering every several weeks, and that's, I just kind of try to do that you know, it's some sort of pattern. No, I'm not I'm talking about, listen, growing people are people who go, Jesus Christ is the very first thing in my budget. I don't know of a mature, growing Christian who is not also a giving Christian. If you want to grow, I'm telling you, this may be one of the, the greatest areas of growth for some of you would simply be the faithful, habitual giving of your, you know, they're not your resources, they're God's, for you to simply recognize God owns it all and I'm going to put him first. And some of you think, I can't afford it. No, you can't afford not to bring God into that part of your life. You can't. I'm not telling you how much. I'm telling you, if you're not inviting God into that part of your life, you are missing a massive, massive area of growth. And fourth, growing people are going people. Now, here's what I mean. I don't mean everybody's going to leave here and we're all going to end up in some foreign country. You might, and maybe you should. But growing people are simply people that go, God's called me. God has, according to Acts 17, he has set me in this time with these boundaries. I live in this city. I, I, I work in this cubicle. None of that is accidental. God did it all. God created. God knit me together in my mother's womb. God gave me the personality that I have. God did all these things, and he did it so that when I awaken to a knowledge of the glory of God, that this is what he's doing, then what happens is suddenly I realized there is this thing called the kingdom of God that God is building, that God is swirling around us all the time in this kind of unseen realm that we can't see. And God is saying, all I'm asking you to do is join me. Just join me. And you live such a boring life. And we yawn at life because we don't understand what God is doing. So what does it mean when we say, we talk about, you know, going? It's this idea of missional living. What is missional living? Let me give you the simplest definition I know how. It's ordinary people doing ordinary things with gospel intentionality. Did you hear this? Ordinary people doing ordinary things with gospel intentionality. Are you ordinary? Yeah, okay, that's step one. Ordinary things, like what? Like having a barbecue. Like going to Starbucks or classic coffee or to that coffee shop in town that, where the barista doesn't know Jesus. Like, like going to that, 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 that person that cuts your hair. They don't know Jesus. Like inviting people, and we're making dinner anyway, so we're gonna invite them into our house and serve them dinner. I mean, going to a movie. I mean, just think of a thousand things. Just, just doing ordinary things, but with this caveat, with the intention of the gospel, that at some point, God will give me the opportunity that I'm going to show them the love of Christ. I'm going to show them that I'm, I'm, you know, in some ways I'm just very ordinary, but there's some difference, and the difference is Jesus. And when God opens the opportunity, I can speak, and I can tell them about the love of Christ. I can tell them about the goodness, the mercy, the forgiveness, the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Ordinary people doing ordinary things with gospel intentionality. Now, we want to be glorifying God by leading people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. How do we get there? 
We'll talk about that next week.